0: what's going on football md fam thank you all for tuning in to episode 53 of the football md podcast my name is michael bowling i'm joined as always by my co-host daniel ronan and we are just one day away from the big day what we've all been waiting for dan give me a drum roll please tomorrow is avengers Endgame. (laughs) (laughs) we might want to cut that part out i'm sorry i couldn't help myself we might to start a new podcast just so we can start talking <laughs> superheroes, man. I'm so excited for this. Superheroes and Game of Thrones. That'll be our next podcast. But no, tomorrow... In all seriousness, this is the start of the 2019 NFL Draft. On last week's episode, we ran through my co-host Dan's Mock Draft 2.0. So definitely make sure you go back to see where we have this year's top prospects landing. And now today, we're going to turn things towards fantasy football a little bit as we discuss the top quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. And what we think of those guys solely as prospects, laying the foundation before we find out where they'll be playing in 2019. And a couple things to keep in mind here, guys. One, we're talking fantasy football
1: because, well, we just kind of miss it. We're excited for the 2019 fantasy season and we can't wait for it to come. So we're going to dive into it a little early because secondly, and probably the most important thing to keep in mind, is that really where each of these prospects end up is really crucial to what their value is going to be, obviously. It's going to determine their usage and whether or not they have a lot of opportunity or if they're just kind of a role player. To no fault of their own, if they just already have players at that position and it was more of a depth pick, then they're not going to immediately have opportunity. But if they're coming into a situation where it was a weaker position for the team, that will provide opportunity immediately for those players to produce. So we won't get the best idea of who is going to be the most productive until we find out where they land. But as my co-host Mike said, we just wanted to give a little baseline for at least who are probably the most talented players. So when you see where they land, then you can determine whether they'll have the opportunity to go with that talent.
0: Yeah, just giving you guys something to go off of, a little bit more information about these top guys. And we'll get right into it here, starting at the quarterback position. And my number one quarterback in this draft class is Kyler Murray. I know there's questions about how his size will translate to the NFL, but I think he has by far the most upside, especially for fantasy in this draft class. His dual threat ability is just ideal, for fantasy production. Even if he's an average to below average NFL quarterback in his first year as most rookies are, we saw what Josh Allen was able to do in terms of fantasy production with his legs, finishing as the quarterback one over the last five or six weeks of 2018. And that mobility makes me less concerned about where he lands as well. That skill set helps buy time in the pocket, gives his receivers time to get open, and I like how he keeps his eyes downfield with the ball up ready to throw when he's under pressure. Without a doubt, Kyler Murray is the most impressive quarterback
1: in this draft class. He is not without his risk, like you said, with his, you know, short stature and let's also not ignore the fact that he did come from the Big 12. Throwing touchdowns is kind of just something that they do in the Big 12, it's no big deal. So, yes, he has a ton of production, but he was also only a one-year starter. There's a lot to be questioned, but He also has the most upside or the most potential as well with that skill set. Like you said, the ability to run and really launch the ball from any platform. He doesn't really have to set his feet in order to get that arm strength. That's an impressive skill set. Not one that you can really teach.
0: Agreed there. And now moving over to my number two quarterback. I know this is where we start to differ a little bit. So I have quarterback Dwayne Haskins here as my number two quarterback prospect. And he's definitely more of a raw talent, then Kyler Murray, and his lack of mobility definitely raises some concerns. He'll have to prove that he can stay active in the pocket, come off of his first read to his second or third while staying calm under pressure. I do think he'll be a solid long-term option for fantasy, but his lack of mobility, I think, will cap his ceiling, and I'm assuming that's why he's a little bit lower on your list. Yeah, he comes in as the fourth quarterback prospect for me. Not that
1: I don't understand that he is probably the most talented passer in the class, and I get it. But I just think in the modern NFL, it's going to be tough with edge defenders like Sweat coming into the league, running 4-4, you know? <laughs> These in. guys are fast as hell. They're athletic. And at times, you're going to have to escape them. To me, every quarterback that I have above him can do that and in an efficient manner and also throw the ball pretty well. Haskins might be the most talented passer, but I often say the quarterback position is also graded best off the field. And I am a Little worried about his decision making on the field. To me, he's made some questionable decisions. He's, he misses open wide receivers at times and he relies on big plays from talented wide receivers in Ohio State's offense.
0: So, you have Haskins at number four, you said. Who's your number two prospect at the quarterback position? My number two is Drew Locke. I like right, him, he, and he comes in at number three for me, so that's perfect here. And the reason why I like
1: Drew Locke is because I like his production. He was a three-year starter at Missouri. They play in the SEC. That's the most talent in all of college football. So he plays good competition
0: and he was very productive. He had over 12,000 passing yards and 99 passing touchdowns in his three years. So the production is certainly there.
1: But what it really comes down to most for me is I like his movability and his ability to throw the football. He's, like I said, he has what Haskins is missing, and that's the ability to move and kind of extend plays. And when you're able to do that, I think that's setting you up for better success in the beginning of your career. We saw it with like a guy like Dak Prescott. His ability to move in that offense gives him the opportunity to simplify the offense in a way, but also execute it a little bit more with less stress.
0: Yeah, and my only knocks against Drew Locke are when he does, because he is pretty mobile, when he does start to move around the pocket, I think his accuracy really does start to decline a little bit, and he completed just 56.9% of his throws at Missouri, so that accuracy is definitely a concern, but he certainly has the tool set to be able to play at a high level in the NFL. I just think he might take a little bit longer to develop than those first two guys that I mentioned there. Well,
1: you're absolutely correct about the accuracy being a concern. That's definitely something he's got to fix. And the thing is, when you get to the NFL, it gets faster. The windows get tighter, and it's harder to you know, complete football. So, it's going to be tough, but he's going to have to find a way to uh, figure that out at the next level, no doubt.
0: For sure. And now coming in at number four on my list, I have West Virginia quarterback Will Greer. And he's kind of a gunslinger. He can make some big plays, but he'll also hold on to the ball a little bit too long and pick up some sacks. But he put up huge numbers in his two seasons at West Virginia with 71 passing touchdowns. And what I really like to see is his 20 touchdowns on balls traveling at least 20 yards in the air. So I don't think he's a lock for NFL or fantasy success, but that confidence to air the ball out definitely provides the upside that you look for when taking a chance on a prospect. No doubt. And honestly, the best thing he has going for him is I say that
1: you like to grade the quarterback position off the field. Well, he brings everything off the field. He has been known to be a leader, a hardworking individual, a student of the game, and like you said, no doubt has the confidence on the field to air it out. You love that. And if he gets on a team with a starting position... No doubt about it. He'll he'll offer significant fantasy production if he can get on the field in his rookie se- season because he does. I, I I do believe in him a little bit more than other a lot of people do. I think a lot of people are pretty low. I think you're pretty high on him. Yeah. He's only a I five for like
0: me. Yeah, yeah. And we actually kind of flip flopped here. Yeah. So your number four is my number five. I'll let you take over this next guy. Well, no, actually, Daniel Jones,
1: I have him at three, oh, and yeah. that's my guy in this class. I really do like his game the most,
0: and I need you to sell me on him a little bit because. Just from watching him, just from watching his tape, he really doesn't impress me too much, but I know you have a little bit of a different view there. You should immediately compare him to Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. He
1: doesn't have as big of an arm, and I get that, but he has the big body, the mobility, and where his passing lacked at Duke was honestly, in my opinion, not always his fault. They always say playing at a small school, you don't play against the best competition, but you don't play with it either. But I just think that his game is going to correlate to what teams want in the modern NFL quarterback going forward. If you see guys like Cam Newton, Josh Allen, they can be mobile because they have the size to take on the durability that comes with being a mobile quarterback. That's the problem with smaller quarterbacks. If you can't always get away and you are taking hits, your career is going to be very short. Guys like Russell Wilson, who are short and move, Russell Wilson's smart. He slides when he has to, he gets out of bounds. He gets the ball away, but he limits the hits that he
0: takes. Yeah, and you alluded to his mobility, and he rushed 406 times over his last three seasons at Duke for 3.3 yards per carry. That's very good for a quarterback, and 17 scores on top of that. So he'll definitely take a little bit more time to develop than some of the guys that I have higher on this list. I know you're a little bit higher on him than I am, but he's certainly worth a dart throw in Dynasty Leagues, especially this is where landing spot comes in. If he has a path to production or a path to a starting role with that we can project in the next few years or so then you know he could be a fantasy contributor sooner rather than later. And now let's just keep things rolling here. We're going to move over to the running back position. And in this draft class, I think there's no one player that I'm going to be very high on, regardless of where they land. There's no Saquon Barkley's Ezekiel Elliott's in this draft class. I think a lot of these running backs are talented and can contribute early on, but I think landing spot for a lot of these guys is going to be crucial. But just to get right into it here, I'll start with my number one running back, and that is Josh Jacobs. And I really like him a lot. He might be my number one pick overall in Dynasty Drafts. He can run between the tackles, get outside. He can catch the ball, pick up blocks. And he's really quick for his size. He has great acceleration, change of direction. And I was surprised to find out that he's 220 pounds. That definitely gives me some optimism. He'll be able to do the hard work taking 18 to 22 touches per game, helping wear down defenses as well as still being able to break off those long runs and contributing in the receiving game. So pretty high on Jacobs. You look at his college production, he averaged 4.07 yards after first contact per attempt, but really, it's that versatility as a receiver is what's appealing to me for fantasy. He averaged 12.4 yards per catch and forced 21 missed tackles on 48 career receptions. So that ability to play on all three downs is why he's my clear RB1 in this draft class. I think he'll immediately be able to produce for fantasy. Well, I'm not going to have to go
1: into him very much at all because you did a great job. <laughs> he is my also my number one. And the only thing I will say is he's pretty much the only guy in the class that is going to give you that three down ability, that workhorse ability. The rest of them all kind of seem like role players and that doesn't that's not to a knock against them. It just means they they probably will end up with like a less opportunity type yeah. role.
0: And most running backs in today's NFL are role players. Everyone's in a committee. So Exactly. So it's
1: not like they're going to be in a disadvantage, you know, if they go to the right spot, they are going to have an opportunity to produce, especially cuz a few of them are pretty talented. But Josh Jacobs is pretty much The only guy being seen as a possible three down workhorse back who can catch, who can block, who can run, who can pretty much do it all. Like you said, the dirty work in between the tackles, but also he has, you know, a good athletic skill set and the lack of mileage. The lack of mileage is huge. Usually you get these dominant running backs who are coming out of college and they have a lot of wear and tear on them, i.e. Bryce Love. A guy that, you know, was super productive in college, but, you know, with the injuries that he's had, are you really trusting him? Mm -hmm. So... Josh Jacobs, he offers you. He's the only guy that really offers you that uh, three-down workhorse ability, which is intriguing, obviously, for fantasy.
0: Yeah, and I think right outside of Josh Jacobs is where we start to differ, and where really everyone differs. So a lot of people have Josh Jacobs as their number one guy, and then it gets dicey the further down you go in this draft class. But my number two prospect is David Montgomery, and he's pretty similar to Josh Jacobs in my opinion. I think Jacobs is a little more efficient when a play breaks down. And he's getting swarmed in the backfield. You can see him just drop his pads and go after those hard yards rather than trying to be flashy. Whereas you might see Montgomery get a little more creative and try to extend the play, which sometimes leads to those big gains that we've seen him capable of producing, but sometimes it leads to losses as well. So maybe a little bit more boom or bust, but you have to love the upside that his play style creates. And at 5'10", 222 pounds, I think his ceiling is just as high as anyone else's in this class.
1: Yeah. And for me, David Montgomery doesn't come in until number three, but I see why you have him at number two. He is he was very productive in college at Iowa State and and when Maurice Jones Drew was talking about him, he said he has the ability to make you miss in a phone booth. And I love that phrase. It's he can he has such wiggle to him, you know, when he runs. He can really like he doesn't make these large cuts where he jumps, you know, 3 yards or whatever and he's in a different location. He just has a way to kind of slide past you and he's forced 99 missed tackles last year. That is more than double any other running back in this draft class besides Devin Singletary.
0: And is David Montgomery your second running back? He's third. Third, okay.
1: Okay. Number two for me is Miles Sanders. This is a guy who I think has absolutely all the potential in the world. Two things are being held against him. One, fumbles. I do recognize that, and that's terrible. He's going to have to fix that, but I also believe that coaches are going to believe that that's a coach that that's a coachable fixable trait that they're going to be able to teach him how to carry the ball high and tight and make sure that he's not losing footballs and as for the second question mark it's his only one year starting at Penn State but again that's kind of unfair to him he had Saquon Barkley ahead of him Saquon Barkley would start over most of the top running backs in the NFL you know that's not really fair for That's not really fair to hold that against him. He's a talented player, and honestly, he comes with less mileage, just like Josh Jacobs, and I also think that's a little bit of a plus. So he's, in my opinion, another guy who's very well-rounded. He could run. He can catch. He can pretty much do it all. I watched a lot of his tape at Penn State as the backup for Saquon Barkley and last year as the starter, and I was always impressed with him. I thought he was a good, solid runner, and I like his skill set.
0: Yeah, and I do like Miles Sanders. I'm a little bit lower on him than you are. He comes in at number five for me. It's just those fumbling issues. They really do scare me off quite a bit. He fumbled once every 34 touches, which I know some fumbling issues that can be corrected, but once every 34 touches, that's a lot of fumbles. That's not going to fly in the NFL. Yes, it can be corrected. And when he does have the ball in his hands, I love what I see from him. He has the NFL size with great speed and agility. He's showed the ability to make defenders miss. But he just has to show that he can protect the football. That's the main thing for me. But still, it wasn't enough of a scare-off to keep him out of my top five. So I do love the talent there. But now we'll hop right into my number three running back prospect, and that is Damian Harris. He's He's a decent receiver, not quite like his teammate Josh Jacobs, and he has decent acceleration as well. His lack of top-end speed could certainly limit his big play ability, but he also only fumbled three times over 550 career carries at Alabama, so we have to love his reliability as a ball carrier. I just think he projects as one of the safer picks in this draft class. We've seen him top 1,000 rushing yards in both his sophomore and junior seasons despite backfield competition at Alabama, and I really like his work in the red zone. He's just a bruising back that can hit it home when he's close to the goal line.
1: Yeah, and again, like we said, Very few guys are going to offer you that complete package this year. And Damian Harris really projects as a real one, two, a real first, second down back. He excels in between the tackles. You know, and like you said, he does have some receiving ability. Like he's not incompetent in that area, but it's definitely not his strong suit. You know, he is a more downhill bruising back. And I love his skill set. I do think that, you know, he's going to be productive. I actually like his game, but I have him a little bit lower. I have him at five. Just because to me, like, like I said, he, he's just a, a role player and that falls in my opinion because I think they're prioritizing in the NFL the receiving ability right now not really his strong suit compared to some of these other guys who are a little bit better wide receiver.
0: And now we'll hop right into my number four running back prospect, and that is Daryl Henderson. I just love his explosiveness and his downfield receiving ability. The guy averaged 8.9 yards per carry in both 2018 and 2017, and he had 43 carries of 15 or more yards last year. Now, he is slightly undersized at 5'8", 208 pounds, but his big play ability screams fantasy upside you just have to know what you're getting he's not the type of guy that I think is likely to take on a workhorse role but he can be extremely productive with what he does get yeah and at the end of it all
1: we really do have the same top five guys we have them in a different order but those are the top five guys that you can really look at to probably carve out a role in 2019 and make an immediate impact which means they're going to have fantasy relevance and a couple of guys that, you know, you might want to keep an eye on as well before we move on to the wide receiver position, I'll mention the first is Bryce Love. To me, it's a guy who, you know, obviously very hot and cold. His his 2017 season and 2018 season were worlds apart. But if you got that 2017 Bryce Love, you might have one of the better running backs in the NFL. He was an absolute workhorse beast for Stanford in 2017 you know had in, has injury concerns didn't really produce in his other opportunity in 2018 and it just it, a huge question mark you know just really not he's not impressing anybody you know he's not a hot name but it's just a guy that was super productive in college and does have a pretty interesting skill set if he can ro- if he can fall into the right location could offer some fantasy relevance
0: yeah and those question marks regarding his drops in production his torn ACL and Stanford's final game of the season which is just completely heartbreaking but those are going to factor in and those are going to make his draft stock fall in both the NFL and in fantasy drafts so for the potential upside that you can get if you end up getting that 2017 Bryce Love he's certainly worth a dart throw in fantasy Uh, another guy that I really like that I think we should all keep our name on is Justice Hill he's certainly undersized but super explosive flashed major athleticism at the combine he doesn't profile is a three down back you can't rely on him in pass pro but his big play upside is tough to ignore for fantasy the landing spot will mean a lot for hill but he can be a contributor right away as a role player in the right situation think of kind of Tariq Cohen for fantasy someone that has that big play upside anytime he touches the ball
1: and we will roll right on to wide receivers now where both you and I kind of you know we differentiate definitely as to where these guys fit but there is something that we agree on, and that is DK Metcalf not being either of our number one wide receivers.
0: Or our number two wide receivers, yeah, actually, Absolutely. for, that, for that so
1: We'll get into that, obviously. I'll start with my number one guy, a guy that you know I've been high on for a very, very long time. You got
0: you got me high on
1: him. Yeah. Uh, that's Nikhil Harry out of ASU. This guy, I love his game, man. I, I absolutely love it. You know, he got a little overshadowed at the combine, but let me just tell you, he's
0: 6'4". He only, got, he only got overshadowed at the combine because DK Metcalf dropped that picture with his negative 2% body fat and looking like Optimus Prime <laughs> out there out there on the field.
1: No doubt, but he is 6'4", 215 pounds. He did 27 bench press reps matching DK Metcalf. He didn't run as fast, but he still ran a four four one. And that slimming figure allows him to have solid route running abilities even at his size and strength. We'll get into it later, why that applies differently to DK Metcalf, but pretty much Nikhil Harry offers you the complete package. He can run routes. He's a competent route runner. He offers you the big play because he's a big body. He can go out and attack the football. He has natural hands. And overall, he's a hard-nosed type of player. He's not afraid to get dirty and block on the edge. And I just love his complete game. And he might not have the production that some of these top tier guys have but no doubt he has the skill set to match and In my opinion, he's the most complete package at the wide receiver position this year.
0: Yeah, Nikhil Harry comes in at number two for me. As you said, a big-bodied wide receiver with the ability to make contested catches due to his crazy catch radius. And I really like seeing his 15 forced missed tackles last season. And he showed strong at the combine, literally, with those 27 bench press reps that you alluded to. And that gives me some optimism that he'll be able to continue winning those contested catches at the next level, forcing missed tackles, all those things you like to see in a wide receiver at the next level and you know you you alluded to it he may not have that top end speed like some of these other guys but his overall skill set aligns him well to be a solid fantasy option for the long term no doubt and like you said he might not have 4-3 speed like
1: DK impressed with and you know Paris Campbell who we might mention later who is a burner who has that speed but 4-4-1 for a guy his size that's the same speed as Julio Jones and if you're telling me that he doesn't Look faster than everybody else on the field, Julio Jones. You're lying. <laughs> so for that four 4 one in game speed can look very, very fast and can be very functionally fast. You get what I'm saying? Sure. At that strength, we'll move right on to your number one guy because you didn't have you had Nikhil Harri at two, right?
0: Correct. Yeah. So my number one, number one guy, guy is. is actually DK Metcalf's teammate, and that is AJ Brown. And I just love what he brings to the table. A lot of his production came from inside, in the slot, but I don't think that's all he can do. We saw Metcalf after he went down with his neck injury. AJ Brown moved to the outside and succeeded there as well. I think he's closer to a Juju Smith-Schuster type where he's got the versatility to play on the outside, but he's just best suited as that big slot receiver. So he may not have the same ceiling as DK Metcalf, but I think he has the highest floor in this draft class, especially for fantasy, someone that can really contribute right away all over the field. Yeah, he comes in at number three for me
1: personally, but I totally see what you see in his game. I I get why he would be number one. I'm just don't see talent like Nikhil Harry very often. So I'm very confident in his abilities and I'll get into the one other player that comes in ahead of him for me, but A.J. Brown has the complete package. He's a possession wide receiver who doesn't have the speed that you may want at the wide receiver position, but his route running ability, his smoothness and suddenness in and out of his breaks makes him faster on the field than his straight line speed may predict. So That's why it's always iffy to look at these 40-yard dash times and really apply it to football. Because not very often are you running
0: in a straight line. Unless you're DK Metcalf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look at his tape.
1: Pretty much all he did. But
0: anyway. (laughs) And and now we'll move over to your number three receiver. We'll keep the DK Metcalf carrot dangling a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, No, my number two wide receiver, Marquise
1: Brown. He comes in ahead of A.J. Brown for me. But behind the keel because he would be the number one if it wasn't for his injury. But even with his injury, he's the smoothest route runner in the class, and I prioritize that. As good as Nikhil Harry is, I would still put Brown, Marquise Brown. Now I can't, I can't just use Brown. There's two of them. Mm-hmm. But Marquise Brown, I, I would like to put him ahead, but the injury makes me not be able to take him that early. But as for the skill set, I prioritize that route running ability, that speed, that explosiveness. Now I get that he's undersized. If he could put on 10, 15 pounds, it would really make a world of difference. But at the same time, at his size and speed, Comparing him to Deshaun Jackson is perfect. He's very explosive. He's very smooth in and out of his routes. And he's going to get separation from
0: cornerbacks very well. And that's what you need. Yeah, and I love Marquise Brown. I think he has one of the highest ceilings in this draft class. But I'm a little bit lower on him. I have him down at number six. And it's not even because of the injury concerns. All reports are that you know, he's moving on from that pretty well, and it shouldn't be an issue going forward. But you said it yourself, it's his size that really has me nervous. He's 5'9", 166 pounds. I mean, even Tyreek Hill is 180-somethings. So that's going to be a concern to me at the next level, but he has elite speed, burst, quickness, and I love him as a route runner, which is huge. He doesn't just have to rely on his speed to make plays, and that home run ability is what really makes him exciting for fantasy. So I have no problem with you being higher on him. It's just the size issue that has me concerned 166 that's that's pretty slight for an NFL wide receiver absolutely and now we're going to move on to my number
1: four guy DK Metcalf and I just want to say if you have been following the podcast you have heard me say that DK was my number one guy and that I was going to stick by him and I just did more and more study on him and you know actually my co-host Mike kind of pointed some things out while we were watching some tape and I couldn't ignore his lack of a route tree his inability to really get in and out of breaks smoothly, he wasn't asked to do it very much. He ran a deep route, primarily, at all Miss. The only other two routes were slants, which his big body kind of favors a lot, and hooks, which when he runs straight every single play and you hook it off every once in a while, sometimes you're going to get some separation there, but that was really his only ability to get that. Otherwise, he's making contested catches. And don't get me wrong. His skill set and his potential is probably the highest in the class. But he has also the longest way to go, in my opinion. He, to, from where he is to where he's got to be, he's got a long journey. He's got to learn how to run better routes. He's got to get separation on a consistent basis. Because the tight windows in college are going to be even tighter in the NFL. And quite frankly, quarterbacks just aren't going to throw your way if you can't get separation. They're not, they're not willing to do that. They're, the cornerbacks are pros. They're going to pick them off. They're going to make reads. You're going to have safety over the top hell reading a the quarterback. They're not going to do those tight windows if you can't get some separation. So in my opinion, DK Metcalf, as much as he has the highest potential, he's got the longest journey ahead of him as far as where he needs to improve and what he needs to learn as far as the game is concerned.
0: Yeah, and Metcalf comes in at number three for me. As you said, he definitely lacks in some areas, but he'll still be able to do a lot of things right away that are extremely valuable in both the NFL and for fantasy. He has size that you just can't teach that. And he has great acceleration. He can separate vertically, out jump players in the end zone. I think His range of outcomes, though, is similar to a lot of the other guys in this draft class. I think he would really benefit from going to a team where he doesn't have to be the focal point of an offense like it was in Ole Miss. That offense really ran through his teammate, A.J. Brown, while Metcalf did his thing on the outside. So I think going to a team like the Colts, crossing my fingers there, or the Packers, where they have a T.Y. Hilton or Devontae Adams to really take the attention off of him from opposing defenses. I think that's the situation that he'd really be able to excel in. I think going to a team like the Bills, like we previously had him mocked, I I think he could struggle there with not a lot of other threats in that passing game. But now we'll move right over to my number four wide receiver and that is Hakeem Butler. And Butler has a massive build, he's super athletic, but He just didn't seem to be open too often, which is pretty concerning considering he played in the Big 12, but there are a lot of positives to his game. He has the length and versatility to play both inside and out, and he's a pretty good route runner for his size, and he wins at the point of the catch, obviously just towering over people at 6'5", but his size, speed, and ability make him an interesting prospect for fantasy, especially if he lands somewhere with a clear path to become that number one option. If he's getting a lot of targets, he's going to make some pretty impressive things happen.
1: Yeah, all you need, really need to know is Hakeem B- Butler. And for me, he comes in at one spot lower. He comes in at five for me, but, you know, nitpicking, splitting Harris at this point. The one thing you have to know about Hakeem Butler is Calvin Johnson said his game reminds me of mine. That's all you really need to hear. <laughs> you gotta love that, yeah. <laughs> he, is, uh, he is a physically dominant player, and he's a little bit smaller than Calvin Johnson, but not by much. He's definitely a physically... Dominating player. He's a big guy who, like you say, can reach over you, can reach around you, can go up above you, and can really go through you if he has to (laughs) because he's he's got some strength to him. And no doubt about it, Hakeem Butler. I think he's definitely built for success at the next level. And honestly, that rounds out my top five. Those are the my top five guys. I know you have a couple other guys we're going to get into, but for me, those are the top five guys that you really are going to want to keep an eye on where they land, what role they're going to have carved out for them, because they can make an immediate impact.
0: Yeah. And my number five guy, he just edged out Marquise Brown due to Marquise Brown's lack of size for the NFL, for NFL purposes. But my number five guy is Kelvin Harmon. I know he didn't have a great combine, but I thought he showed above average athleticism and play speed on the field, which that's what really matters. And I like his ability to create separation without just having to rely on his size. Now, he's one of the more polarizing players in this draft class because I've seen other scouting reports where guys saw the exact opposite of everything that I just said. So I was wondering how you feel about Kelvin Harmon and how he could translate to the next level. No, I
1: actually like his game. Um, now, I think he's a guy who will n- not going to be a number one wide receiver, in my opinion. He's just, he's just not going to be the guy that you really want to r- run your yeah, I think, his ceiling's,
0: I think his ceiling is a little bit lower than even some of the guys I have underneath him on this list.
1: But he definitely has the potential to be a reliable target. You know, a guy who that, like, you need those guys who are not going to be the superstar on the offense, who are going to just do their, who are just going to play their role and they're going to produce, you know, to complimentary and also do some of the dirty work, give effort, block. He's going to have to learn how to do some of these things, but... If he can adjust his game, I do think he has a role that he can carve out in the NFL, no doubt.
0: Yeah, and then just a few more guys outside of my top five because this wide receiver class is so deep. And I think a lot of these guys, depending on where they land, they can all kind of (laughs) flip-flop once the seat by the time we're looking back on 2019. So coming in right now at number seven for me, I have Debo Samuel. And he gets compared to Jarvis Landry a lot, but I think he has a little bit more speed and athleticism to potentially play on the outside. He is a great route runner, but he also dealt with several hamstring issues at South Carolina, as well as a broken leg in 2017. So there are injury concerns, but I think he projects well as a PPR type slot receiver at the NFL level.
1: I'm actually not too high on Debo Samuel. I get it. I see what you're saying. The injury concern to me is is huge, and I, I I'm not too impressive with I'm not too impressed with his tape.
0: Yeah, and I think this next guy, though, I think I'll win you over. I think I'll win you back over a little bit here, because coming in at number eight, I have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a guy I know that you're pretty high on. 6'2", 225 pounds, showed solid speed at the combine, and he has the ability to go up and win contested catches, and he racked up 14 touchdowns on just 63 receptions last season. He's not as polished as some of the other guys that we talked about a little bit earlier, but his height, weight, speed combination makes him exciting for the NFL and for fantasy.
1: No doubt about it, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is somebody that I am very high on. I'm very confident that he's going to have a very productive role in the, at the next level. And depending on where he ends up, sky's the limit for J.J. He was super productive in college, and I believe he could be that in the NFL, especially inside the red zone where he thrived in college.
0: Yeah, and the last wide receiver that I wrote about here is Paris Campbell. I see a lot of Percy Harvin comparisons for him and he was kind of used that way at Ohio State, mostly underneath stuff, but that's how that Ohio State offense runs. They don't really try to push the ball down the field too much. They try and get the ball to their playmakers and let them make plays after the catch. And that's where Campbell excelled with his 4-3 speed. I think his speed brings a little bit more to his game than just a slot role that he might be getting painted as. And I love his efficiency a ton. He caught 82% of his passes in 2018. That's something those reliable hands. That I think will translate well to the NFL. And a thing to keep in mind, guys, before
1: we move on from the wide receiver position, and you alluded to it earlier, and it's just that this is such a strong class. There's even a couple guys like Miles Boykin, who we didn't even get the chance to talk Andy about, Isabella. Andy Isabella, who are probably going to be also immediate impact guys. Yep. And the reason why that is is not only because it's a deep class, but you got to remember, every team is employing a, pretty much three wide receivers, and also. No wide receiver really plays every snap. They use a wide receiver rotation. So you're talking about five, six wide receivers who are probably touching the field in a given game. There's a lot of opportunity there as opposed to the other positions in, in the sport. You know, there's just, you know, you have one or two cornerbacks or ends, you know what I'm saying? You have one or two safeties. You have one, you have one quarterback, you know. Yeah. There's there's You're using a ton of wide receivers and you're shuffling them out. So there's always a little bit more opportunity for this position. And in the long term, I do think we'll be talking about this draft class years down the road as, you know, this is going to be a strong wide receiver class, in my opinion. There's a lot of guys who can make a difference.
0: Yeah, I don't think anyone stands out as the clear cut number one. This is the generational talent type player. But it's a very deep, very flat draft class where a lot of these guys we can be looking back in a few years. And, you know, the guys that we may have ranked at eighth right now could be the top wide receiver from this 2019 class. No doubt about it, and so what that means for draft day, just to go a little bit off topic here, is
1: you probably won't see too many be rushed off the board, you know, maybe yep. in the top 10, top 15, maybe you'll see one or two. Um, like round well, two and three? <laughs> but when No, when, when you hit like 25 and later, like you said, to the from 25 to probably like the beginning of the third, you might see a run like nine, 10 wide receivers coming off the board, all getting their guys, because it's just such a strong defensive class, but... These guys are offering you a lot of production and opportunity right off the gate. A lot of these guys are pro ready like Andy Isabella. I know we didn't talk too much about him, but he is the ideal slot wide receiver. He is perfect for, you know, doing the dirty work in the middle. He did it at UMass and he also had the ability to go on the outside and burn down the sideline. He couldn't really do too much else besides that on the outside, but he's got the top end speed to run down the sideline as well. He was a college track sprinter as well. So he's very, very fast. So A guy who is probably going to carve out a role as well. And that's the great thing about this particular class of wide receivers is there's a lot of hope, there's a lot of intrigue here because they have the skill set.
0: Yeah, and if there's any players that we're not going into depth about or touching on in this episode, don't worry guys. First of all, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and ask us for our thoughts on these players. We're more than happy to talk some football and draft prospects with you guys. And in a few weeks, once the draft is all settled and the dust is all settled and we can get a really full picture of what the NFL landscape is looking like. We're going to be running through these guys again, especially approaching fantasy time, giving you guys uh a... clearer picture of all of the guys that should be relevant in 2019 and beyond but we have one more position to cover here before we wrap up this episode and this one's going to be a little bit quicker but there are some a little bit (laughs) uh, quite quite a bit quicker i only have four guys here but this is a pretty impressive tight end class i think there's a lot of guys that i think could be making impacts sooner rather than later maybe not in 2019 but within the next two three years or so so i'll kick it right off with i think the vast majority of people's consensus tight end one and that is TJ Hawkinson. He played a little bit more in line at Iowa but that's just because his blocking is awesome and we know that skill keeps guys on the field and which is especially important at tight end when you're talking about fantasy purposes because some teams only run one tight end at a time. Not every team's like the Colts where they're running a lot of two tight end sets. So just having Hawkinson on the field is going to be huge for his fantasy outlook, and he's also a great route runner, and he'll provide whatever team he goes to with some versatility. He's really just the best all-around tight end in this class. Well, I'll be honest with you. I really do feel that
1: the top three guys at the position are all pretty equal. I do have TJ technically as one, but really I would like to list them as 1A, 1B, and 1C because the top three guys to me, and I'll just put them in any... uh, TJ Hawkinson, his teammate Noah Fan, and Irv Smith Jr. from Alabama. I can pretty much do them all together. I think they all have the ability to block, the ability to be real three down tight ends at the next level. I know TJ Hawkinson did it best in college pretty much, but Noah Fant, you know, George Kittle's also from Iowa and he was sticking up for Noah Fant and he said, we don't not block at Iowa. That's the thing about Iowa. We're blocking. So Noah Fan didn't just not block there. He you know, he is a little bit more athletic, but he was still forced to do the dirty work there. And although he's not really getting the recognition for it, I do think that...
0: Yeah, well, he, it's not fair to say he can't block when you have TJ Hawkinson blocking. So that's like saying it's not yeah. fair that Miles Sanders didn't start uh-huh. at Penn State. You had Saquon Barkley, not to say that Hawkinson's Barkley, but you know I'm... Um,
1: no, I know what you're alluding it's to. It's not him. needed. Hawkinson's skill set in blocking is just... A little bit better, so why not take advantage of that? He exactly. can really dominate guys at the point of the attack. But as for Irv Smith Jr., as well, just to round it all out, I think he offers the same thing, and he's got family bloodlines directly to the NFL. So I'm a huge fan of all three of these guys. As prospects, I like them all. Yes, TJ Hawkinson is probably a little bit more well rounded. Noah Fant and Irv Smith Jr. are a little bit more athletic, more receiver types, but I still think they can block. and they all have an opportunity to produce
0: immediately out the gate. Just to unpackage a little bit more on Noah Fant and Irv Smith... Obviously, Fant was used a lot more as a move tight end, but like we said, that's going to happen when you have someone as proficient in blocking as TJ Hawkinson on your team. But I do think that Fant is best used as a big wide receiver. He's as athletic as they come with the size and speed to match, and you have to love his production with 18 touchdowns over the last two seasons, despite splitting time with Hawkinson. I actually think his potential ceiling is a little bit higher than that of Hawkinson's. He just might take a little bit longer to break out, as he's not as well-rounded just yet. And for Irv Smith, I mean, he's really a wide receiver playing tight end at this point. He may not be as refined as Hawkinson or as athletic as Fant, but his burst and route running abilities are just tremendous. He is a little undersized at 6'2, 240 pounds, but he has shown to be a capable blocker. And I think if he lands in the right situation, we'd be seeing him contributing for fantasy pretty early on. And then the final tight end that I have here coming in at number four is Jay Sternberger. He's a one-year guy from Texas A&M, and he exploded last season for 838 yards and 10 touchdowns on just 48 receptions. He isn't as athletic as these other guys, but he's just great at making the catch, turning upfield, and fighting for yards. So while he may lack some athleticism and may take a little bit longer to develop, he really showed the ability to put up big numbers as a receiver, and that keeps him on my fantasy radar early on of course longer term there's some more guys that could have fantasy impacts but we're looking at a little bit more short term within the next two to three years and I think Jay Sternberger is the only other guy that kind of fits that mold at this time and that's all we really have for you guys today keep in mind like we said it's always
1: important you know where these guys end up is a huge indicator on whether they're going to have an opportunity or not so this is a little premature, but we miss fantasy football. We miss talking about, you know, what what guys are going to be productive and not, and obviously the draft going on. And if you have a dynasty league, this is a perfect episode for you guys to make sure you catch because, you know, you're only drafting these rookies and we really... I think we did a pretty good job of breaking them down for you and getting you the information that you need to know who has the most potential, who has the right skill set to correlate to the next level.
0: Yeah, and there's going to be a lot to break down once we find out the landing spots for each of these prospects, but that's a lot easier to do when you're going into that process with the foundation laid out of the types of players that these guys are, what we know about them from their college production. They're going to be a lot easier to project going forward. So even though a lot of what we said and what their production at the NFL level is going to be is contingent on where they land come thursday night it's extremely useful to go into that process with the framework already laid out i hope we did a good job at doing that for you guys i know i enjoyed looking a little bit deeper into these players and i hope you guys enjoyed it as well thank you guys so much for tuning in as always make sure you're following us at football md pod on instagram twitter and facebook and we look forward to checking in with you guys next week after the draft until next time guys